On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we celebrate the beauty of wide open spaces and unpeopled places. We check out some exceptional places to stay in the Mackenzie. We take a deep dive into Waitaki's Lakes District and Tongariro National Park. Plus, we look ahead to the new year with Paul Diamond from Wendy Woo Tours. Welcome back to Kiwi Tripsters. Buckle up and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch. Welcome aboard to Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Chris Lynch. I'm Mike Adley. Good to be with you, Chris. Good to see you, Mike. Now, we are heading into summer. That's good news. There are extra special appeal, though, about the wide open spaces in this whole Delta age. Uh, Let's get started in the Mackenzie. And I was recently in the Mackenzie country. It is my favourite destination, probably of all of New Zealand. We are highlighting some secluded uh, bolt holes, if you like, starting with Aoraki Mount Cook. Indeed, Chris, wide open, low density spaces. I think these are going to be all the rage in these bumpy times of Delta, particularly over summer. So I thought we would head to the mountain. And the Hermitage, of course, has been purring away for the past year after going into hibernation when COVID first arrived here. And even in the height of summer, what I really love about the National Park, as you know, Chris, Old Aki still has that glistening coat of snow all year round. So regardless of the season, you get great photographs and videos. You do. And it's the kind of place where you go there and you actually feel like you are, you are away from civilization, but in a nice way. Yeah. Because you can see Mount Cook, it always stays the same, never changes. And there's just a sense of serenity and peacefulness there that is. I don't think that anywhere else in New Zealand you can get that same type of environment or buzz. It's a yeah. real lovely, you've got the Alpine Village. Yep. It's a nice, nice place. Absolutely. And um, at the Hermitage Hotel, there are really swanky facilities. So if you want to have a wilderness uh, escape in style, you definitely want to dine at the Panorama Room. They have a la carte dining there. Lots of uh, New Zealand cuisine showcase, mm. uh, whether it be Mount Cook Alpine salmon chowder or perhaps Mount River Farms venison loin. Um, if you want to upgrade your accommodation, be sure to book a premium plus room at the Hermitage. The, these rooms are on the uh, higher levels of the Auraki wing. So the good thing about this is if you are a chronically lazy person, you can still feel at one with the mountain as if you could virtually reach out and touch it from your bed in this alpine roost. Um, and the room rates are a steal at the moment at the Hermitage Hotel. You can bag a room there at the moment for around 200 bucks a night. Which is pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, make sure you book early. I also like um, just down the road from the actual main hotel is the Sir Edmund Hillary Alpine Centre. Um, now, that's still opening, isn't it? Yes, it is. Or they, operating, rather? Yeah, absolutely. They good. reopened uh, a while ago now. And if you haven't checked it out, the thing about the centre is that it sort of doubles as a museum and a theatre. So, obviously, within the museum, uh, they very lustily showcased the colourful history of the National Park, uh, Sir Ed himself, the backstory of the hotel, which dates back to about um, the 1880s. Um, And Hillary was involved in the development of the centre not long before he died. And, of course, Mount Cook was his training ground for 
Everest. Um, and he also used uh, Mount Cook as a training base for his Antarctic expedition. So within the museum, there is stacks of equipment and machinery on show uh, from the Antarctic expedition, his summit of Everest. And you'll definitely want to check out the theatre, which uh, also doubles as a digital dome planetarium. So you can savour the wonders of the heavens and the cinematic alpine thrills all around you. It's a nice place, that's for sure. Right, let's head uh, further, I was going to say, well, it's north, isn't it? Uh, The Mount Cook Lakeside Retreat. It's probably south of the Hermitage Hotel because it lies on the western flank of Lake Pukaki. So you will drive past it as you head to Mount Cook Village. Okay, I'll give you that for now. It's closer to the turn-off from if you were heading to Twisel, if you know where I mean, but on the main highway. But isn't that north of? No. Okay. No. I'll be quiet. Carry Chris on. Chris has never had a good compass. Probably not top of the class in scouting, Chris Lynch. No. No. Not very good at maths either. But this is the, this is a place where I have been here. This is a place where Oprah Winfrey stayed, and you can That's tell right. why. It is luxurious to the max. Mm. It has about, what, three or four villas. Yes. It is beautiful. The hosts are absolutely delightful. I did yes. like the fact they pivoted during the first uh, lockdown. Yes. And they opened up uh, what was called um, what was a forest, a bathing forest. Yes. Bathing yoga. Did you do that? I didn't, Chris. I'll have to go back to do the yoga. Mm-hmm. I was most impressed by their wine cellar and observatory. Oh, so, yes, yes. Um, the idea is you can totter down into the cellar, help yourself to a glass of wine or perhaps a top-shelf whiskey, and then you step into the adjoining observatory where they've got a retractable roof and a telescope uh, for you to gaze in awe of the dark sky reserve while you enjoy a drink or three. Um, Very, very luxurious. Now, obviously, this is not a cheap place to stay. If you've got a special occasion coming up, Mm. maybe a wedding anniversary, maybe an engagement, um, have a splurge. It will set you back about 1000 bucks a night for two adults, but you will get breakfast, afternoon tea, and dinner included in that. So, yeah, for a top-shelf experience... Oprah style, uh, you can't go wrong at the Mount Cook Lakeside Retreat. No, you can't go wrong. And yes, it is pricey, but it's there for a reason. Yeah. It is secluded. It is exclusive. Yeah. And uh, I haven't stayed there. I was lucky enough just to visit. Yes. Um, but there is something very, very magical about that there place. Is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, at the now, make sure I've got my compass on. At the southern end yes. of Pakeke, there's yes. Lake Stone Lodge. This is probably one of my favourite places to stay. It is very much Chris Lynch. When I, what I mean yep. by that, it's luxury. It's off the grid. They yep. call it sustainable. Um, yes. It's near the highway, so you don't feel like you're too far away from life. When I say near the highway, it's off the road. It is. I don't, that, wanna, I don't want people hill. to think. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful, spectacular views of uh, Lake Bekeke, yep. Mount Cook in the background, and the nicest hosts who uh, are not overwhelming, but they are discreet. Yeah. And I like that about them. I think you've summed it up brilliantly. I think the location is... Such a winner because, uh, as you probably noticed, Chris, as you look north across the lake to Auraki, if you've got a setting sun, it's like the sun gives the mountain a good night kiss as it slumps on the western horizon. It Mm. is just so gorgeous. And I was also really intrigued by the colour of the walls inside Lakestone Lodge. Apparently, the painting colour is called metamorphosis, and they chose that colour because it mimics the hue of the lake perfectly, that 
luminous brilliance of the blue of uh, Lake Pukaki. But, yeah, very much affordable luxury. Mm. So unlike Mount Cook Lakeside Retreat, uh, Lakestone Lodge will please a lot of budgets. Um, and obviously you've got that outdoor fire pit where you can sort of knock back some cocktails, those bathtubs in the private courtyards, absolutely superb. It is nice. And you get dinner there on the yep. first night. Yeah, absolutely. This is the kind of place you can stay out a couple of nights yes. to really support them. It's yep. a lovely, lovely place. Um, Want to move just to uh, the base of uh, Ben O'Hare Range. Yes. Another good place. Another another great place to go for various walks as well, Mike. Absolutely. So this is really close to Twizel, but, also, but obviously still in the Mackenzie district. Skyscape. Now, this is literally out of the box, this place. Ultra chic eco-friendly, and what you are um, staying in are essentially pods, ingeniously designed uh, to embrace the elements. The bedroom is sheathed in glass. It is like sleeping in a glass box. Oh, now, when I had a bit of a tour of this place, it wasn't yet complete. Really? Has this been completed? Did you yes, stay there? they have got more pods wow, there now. Yes. okay, cool. So the idea is when you lie back on your bed, you get lost in the wide-eyed wonder of the constellations above because you've got a glass roof, you know. You Mm. just see right through it. The beds, I thought this was so cool. The beds have actually been purposefully positioned at ground level. So it's like you are sleeping in the tussocks of the McKenzie district. And alongside your glass box bedroom, your kitchen and your bathroom have a grass roof so they blend in the t- with the terrain. It's like something out of The Hobbit, I reckon. Serious X-factor accommodation. Um, totally memorable, but not extortionate. You're with Kiwi Trips is let's head to Waitaki Lakes District. And at the top of the valley is Omarama. And I've got to say, Mike, I don't think I know much about this place, so indulge me, please. Well, it's a really good gateway into the Waitaki Lakes District. Uh, as you mentioned, Chris, it's uh, at the upper end of the Waitaki Valley. And the Lakes District stretches from Omarama to Kurao. Omarama is actually the Māori word which translates as Place of light, which is such a fitting description because I think most visitors, when they go to Omarama, what they marvel over are the big skies, the clarity of light, and the starkness of the landscape all around them. Obviously, it's also a very popular place for gliding. I think the Omarama yeah, would consider was, themselves the gliding capital. You know, interesting you say. That's the first thing I thought of as uh, air transport or yeah. air adventures. Or, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the gliding is very, very popular there because of the particular wind updrafts they get right. in that basin. Um, but, yeah, once again, another wonderful place if you are after a wide open spaces in the slow ride out of this pandemic. But um, there are all sorts of gems, hidden gems within the Lakes District. Including something that I haven't done before and I need to do this because uh, a lot of people have seemed to have been there recently on my, on my Facebook feed. That's the yes. Clay Cliffs. They're close by. I, I thought this was something, you know, in Texas or something when I saw the photos. Yep. Where have I been? Well, I have only been to the Clay Cliffs for the first time in my life in the last month. And it seriously is so impressive. I can now see why people rave about this serrated geological wonder. And it does feel like you've been transported to the States. I've been lucky enough to 
have been to Utah, where they have all sorts of wonderful geological formations. I've also been to Petra in Jordan. And I tell you what, Chris, these clay cliffs, they're like a blend of the two. A little bit of Utah, a little bit of Petra. You've got a slot canyon to shimmy your way through to get right up up close with these natural works of art, which from a distance look like gigantic fluted columns of rock, kind of like giant organ pipes. Yeah, they do. Dangling off the side of the cliff. Um, Hundreds of them in various layers of colour. So geologists would call this formation badlands. That's the sort of term they use for this sort of formation. And the cliffs are actually on private land. So from the main highway, very close to Amadama, it's about a 10-minute drive on a gravel road to reach the spectacle. And because it's on private land, the farmer has to keep the road maintenance up to scratch. So there is a request for a $5 donation as you enter the road to get to them. And that's okay with me. Yeah. Um, what's that little wee uh, town that was a f- almost a construction town at, at first, wasn't it? Otamatata. Otamatata, that's it. Did you get a chance to go there? I actually stayed in Otamatata. I reckon this is a really good base for the Lakes District, yep. Chris, because it's nearby the power station. So, yes, Otamatata, a bit like Twizel, only came into being a township because it was a construction settlement first. And a lot of the um, old worker cottages uh, of the hydro workers who built the power stations, a lot of those original cottages are now holiday homes and residential homes in Otamatata. Um, to the left of the town, you've got Lake Benmore. To the right of the town, you've got Lake Aviemore. And edging the lake, the Otamatata Wetlands Trail is the most magnificent circuit um, with all sorts of amazing little picnic spots around the lakes. My favourite picnic spot would be a place called Pumpkin Point. Sounds like something out of a fairy tale, doesn't it? And if you're up for a bigger stroll, the Benmore Peninsula Track is a a 4K loop walk, which will give you the most dreamy views overlooking the electric blue Lake Benmore. And you'll see right across to Mount Cook, carving up the skyline to the north. Do it early in the morning uh, because the weather is typically calm, so the tranquility factor is really ramped up. Yeah, it is nice. Um, I love a good hydro dam, by the way. There's a few around that district, right? Absolutely. Gushing array. Oh, they do. And the sheer heft of these dams is Mm. so awe-inspiring. Really incredible engineering projects. And what I love about um, Benmore is you can drive onto the top of the Benmore Hydro Dam spillway to get a sense of the immensity of this construction project. It's only about five minutes' drive from Otamatata. The water capacity of Lake Benmore is mind-blowing. The lake holds one and a half times the amount of water in Wellington Harbour. And from the hydro dam, there's actually this very sweet drive that actually runs uh, along the northern side of the lake. So it is like parallel with the main highway, but it's more like a country lane connecting Benmore Power Station with Aviemore Power Station. And the great thing about this drive is that it gives you a great overview of just how immense and elaborate the whole Waitaki Lakes hydro scheme is. Now, there's a museum close by as well. In Kurao. Kurao. And all rugby fans should definitely head to the Kurao Museum right next to the pub. And this museum does such a good job in showcasing the life and times 
uh, to date, of their most famous son, Richie McCaw. The pub next door dates back to 1864, and it's a bit of a curiosity in its own right because it's on the main street, right? And when you drive into Coorau and see the pub, you'll notice that half of this two-storey pub is brightly painted yellow, the other half is blue. And the reason for this is because the previous owner's preference was for DB, hence the yellow, the current owner favours spates, hence the blue. Very Coorau, Chris. Sounds like it. <laughs> uh, and the local wines, they are attract- attracting some growing interest now, aren't they? Definitely. And I think it would be fair to say the Waitaki Lakes District would be the youngest wine-growing region in New Zealand because the first vines were only planted about 20 years ago. And, yeah, their wine scene is really turning heads. There are now 13 wineries in business. It's the limestone of the valley and the arid climate that provides a really good foundation for producing Burgundy-style wines. So a bit like Central Otago, Pinot Noir is the signature variety of the Waitaki Valley, Um, although they also do very good Pinot Gris and Riesling. They're quite dominant varietals as well. Very boutique-y, these wineries. Great fun checking out. Uh, the, the two stops I would recommend would be River Tea Wines and Osler Wines. They both operate excellent cellar door tasting experiences. Very good. Just ahead, Mike talks to Paul Diamond from Wendy Wee Tours, and we head to the Tangaroa National Park. You're with Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Mike Yardley. As hopes grow that our horizons will soon widen again, joining us from Wendy Wu Tours is the New Zealand Managing Director, Paul Diamond. Very good to catch up. Paul, how are you? I'm really well, Mike. How are you? Well, very good, but looking forward to Christmas and a new year. And I'm just wondering, from a Wendy Wu Tours perspective, how are you guys eyeing up 2022? Are you seeing this as the great big blue yonder suddenly becoming real again? Yeah, look, Mike, we, we've we tried to keep a very positive view in travelling all the way through COVID, um, but I do think borders will open to vaccinated travellers to all sorts of countries next year. And we're definitely getting ready for that. So whether you want to call it pivoting or evolving, um, we've now got unique itineraries across Australia, New Zealand. Our UK office has now got tours to Western Europe, Eastern Europe. And in fact, Wendy's just about to go off on our first Scotland tour, um, which was a sellout. So wow. we'll definitely be there for New Zealanders. When borders open, we'll have something to, to give to them. What's been the experience in the Northern Hemisphere with some of those reopenings? Uh, is Wendy Wu is noticing the, the so-called pent-up demand becoming a reality? Is that true? It's true to certain places. Um, I think when you look at Spain and Portugal in the summer, it's where Brits need to go to get some summer sun. We only get, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Brit um, by birth, and uh, we only get a few weeks of sunshine, so we need to go somewhere to get that sunshine. I thought it was only two days sunshine a year you guys got. Oh, you're thinking Scotland. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what we are seeing, though, is Brits are very good at planning. So we are getting bookings for 2022 and 2023. And Brits and uh, Australians, and not so much New Zealanders, are prepared to book in advance in the knowledge that it may not go. So they're quite happy to roll to the next date and roll to the next month until they do get a chance to leave the country. 
That's great, yeah. And are people still booking, like new bookings as such, on your long-haul tour offerings? Yeah, in New Zealand, we are still seeing a little bit of bookings coming in for Japan 2022 and 2023. Um, The Japanese um, government are starting to make noises about Cherry Blossom next year being open to some foreign travellers. So we are looking at maybe being able to run some of that programme. But one thing we are doing is making sure that there's no risk in securing spots on future tours. So clients can give us a call. We'll we'll save them a space. And if it doesn't go, we'll can move them. So I think that's one thing I want to say to New Zealand travelers is that the rest of the world are doing this in quite large numbers. So mm. if there's something you do want to do next year, book it now. Yeah. Um, because you will miss out if you wait for New Zealand borders to be open. Yeah, good advice. Closer to home, let's set the scene on your extended product range in the Australasian collection. Um, the Tasmanian highlights to it. I've only been to Tassie once, fell in love with it. Reminiscent of New Zealand in some ways, but also very different. Um, tell us about your highlights to it. Yeah, well, well, like you, um, Mike, I fell in love with Tasmania, and I, I see it as the scenic parts of the North and South Island here squished into one island with a sprinkling of good old-fashioned Aussie hospitality <laughs> and their wildlife thrown in. So this nice. tour takes in some of the great natural wonders as well as allowing you to experience the amazing food and wine on offer. Highlights include the Fresnay National Park, where we actually stay in one of the eco-lodges there, great. which is a gorgeous piece of untouched Tasmanian wilderness. It's got dramatic views, stunning natural beauty, and then you'll be spoilt for the choice of delicious local delicacies in the Tamar Valley, which is a great place to get some local truffle um, for your cooking. The unique shaped wine glass bay, which I'm sure you've been to with its gorgeous white sand. It is an amazing, spectacular inclusion. And of course, historic Port Arthur, which is once the most feared penal settlement in Australia and is now a fascinating world heritage site. And it's a really interesting place to take a look at Australia's past. So the tour starts in Hobart and finishes in Launceston. So Mm -hmm. there is that opportunity then for you to extend at either end to take a look around those unique cities and look at them a bit more in depth. Sounds superb. Also new to the collection, Paul, I see uh, you've got an offering, the glimpse of the Kimberley. Yes. Now, excuse this pun, but this is a pearl of an itinerary. Oh, I'll let you away with that. (laughs) It's a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, I mean, we head over to the western frontier of Australia, and it's the once capital of the world's pearling industry, Broome. Now, I have stayed in Broome for quite a long time when I was younger, and I could probably fill a whole podcast about Broome. It it really is one of my most favourite places in Australia. Can I butt in there? Why were you staying in Broome so long? Well, I I took a year out from the UK, and I bought a camper van in Cairns, and I drove it round to Darwin the long way. Oh, my God. And we... (laughs) A 1978 V-Dub combi van, air-cooled. It was just an amazing experience. Um, But Broome was a place that we got some work in. We were on a working visa. So we stayed there um, doing a bit of rock picking, some banana plantations a bit further south. And the town itself is just alive with 
different cultures and people, everyone from... Oh, I've met someone that's lived there for 20 years from Newcastle. We still had the broadest Geordie accent. Um, wow. I had my passport stolen in Brew. Nice. And the policeman said, don't worry, we know who's got it. And by the end of the day, they had it back to us. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. And um, Cable Bay um, Beach is just stunning. The, yes. the hotel is great. And for anyone that likes to take their clothes off, it's got the best nudist beach over oh. the rocks, past the camels, and um, it's world-renowned um, around there <laughs> with the water. So, um, yeah, like I said, I could fill a program on Broome. Did you do a camel ride while you were there? I didn't do a camel ride, no. And oh. um, we don't actually do the camel rides anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You can take that option if you want by yourself, but with all of the... Um, rules around animal, to, a, animal cruelty and, and well-being, we decide that it's not something that we want to include on the itinerary. But um, yeah, Fair enough. I, yeah. I, I did some years ago, and I got so much stick for it, and I have noticed that there is just more and more resistance to people taking up that um, option, shall we say. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's, it's a funny one because I've asked other operators as well, and camels are seen as domesticated animals as such, a bit more like your, your farmyard horses and cows. So they are not seen quite as badly in some people's light as elephants, um, mm. say, in Thailand. So yeah, yeah it, each to their own choice um, sure. there. Yeah. But this itinerary will blow you away because we get on seaplanes and boats and we fly you right into the Kimberleys and to Horizontal Falls. So you get Mm -hmm. to see that wonder from the air and sea. You go whale watching for the humpback whales, see the famous bow prison tree um, out in the Kimberleys where where they used to lock up people in the tree. Incredible. Um, Spot the freshwater crocs in Winjana Gorge, um, as well as a chance to walk through the flooded cavern at Tunnel Creek. And as I said, this tour bases you in Broome, so you do get to um, discover the unique city with its Asian influences. They do say at the peak of the Pearling, um, yeah. it was said that you could find someone from every part of the world in Broome. Um, yeah. And they do say there was even an Eskimo there um, when someone tried to challenge them on that. Um, <laughs> and I don't it's know a, if you've been there, Mike, but... Um, I have, the, yes, a couple of years ago. <laughs> have you been to the outdoor cinema there as well? Because that is a yes. stunning place to watch Beautiful. a modern movie in a yeah. Victorian um, deck chair as the fruit bats fly around above you as well. So Absolutely, yeah. That sounds like a sensational tour, Paul. Uh, wow. And, of course, you've got a whole range of existing options across Australia, including Gems of the Kakadu. Tell us about that briefly. Yeah, so what we've done is actually a lot of our tours go back to back. So if you go into uh, the Kimberleys, you yep. can then get on our Gems of Kakadu um, and go straight there and see the amazing national parks around Darwin. The scenery and wildlife is just off this planet in Kakadu and the Catherine Gorge. Not just the saltwater crocodiles, but the birds and the mammals and the lizards are just so unique to that region. Um, If you have the time after the Gems of Kakadu, you can also do our Treasures of the Red Centre 
um, which goes back to back with that tour as well. And that has the greats like Uluru, Alice Springs and Kins Canyon in it as well. So there really is something for everyone there. Up in Darwin, we make sure that you get that uh, war history there as well. And you get to go and see the sun um, go down at the uh, night markets there as well. Brilliant. As just a reminder, you've done it so well of reinforcing the sheer array of options you have in Australia beyond the big cities on the eastern seaboard. There is so much to explore. And of course, we haven't even mentioned Norfolk Island, which I know the Aussies have been uh, busy lately uh, buying spots on your tours uh, to Norfolk Island. Um, Overall, Paul, in terms of Wendy Wu's experience, what about the standard of accommodation you offer? Yeah, well, our accommodation is three, we say three and a half star plus. Um, But in our Australian New Zealand collection, we've been able to source some very unique stays, like the eco lodges I was talking about in Tasmania. We use rainforest retreats up in Queensland. And here in New Zealand, we have the overnight cruises in Fiordland, and we also stay at the Hermitage looking at Mount Cook. So we definitely under-promise but over-deliver on our accommodation. Definitely. What would you consider Wendy Wu's point of difference to be? Well, I guess for starters, it's value for money. But as you can see, we are truly passionate about where we go. So we are we have got a lot of expertise and we do create unique itineraries. And I'll just show you one tell you one thing that makes us so unique. Did you know in Norfolk Island there's mm-hmm. actually a French chef that's got a cooking school there now that specializes in Asian street food? Oh my goodness. And who you, knew? Who knew? <laughs> well, if you come on a Wendy Wu tours there, you will actually get to experience that. And that's what we mean by adding unique itineraries. And then yeah. we do try and include everything you need included to experience the destination to its full potential. So there's no putting into your pocket um, to go and do something that you absolutely would have to do to experience a destination. And the meals we put on our tour are not just about filling you up to keep you going, but there's a story behind every cafe, restaurant, or vineyard that we've handpicked to go on the tour. And I can pretty much safely say that everything on our New Zealand tours, I've personally gone and tried out all of those vineyards for you. Outrageous. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tell us about your book with confidence guarantee. So we always try to prioritize our, the safety of our clients and their well-being. But with COVID, we've also need to make sure our travelers are confident to book and they feel their funds are protected. We now only take a small $99 deposit to hold space and we allow unlimited changes up to 75 days before you depart. We only take final payment as late as possible and we guarantee to recover as much money as possible in the event of a late cancellation. Um, and as you can see, we're not actually taking anyone's money until very late in the booking process. All of our suppliers have agreed to strict COVID protocols, including being vaccinated, having regular testing, and strict cleaning and hygiene procedures. So traveling is going to be different in the future. But the care we put into keeping our clients safe and having a fantastic travel experience will never change. Certainly. Well, Paul, go well. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. And of course, to find out any more on everything we've discussed and so much more, just uh, check out the website, wendywootours.co.nz. Thanks so much for joining us, Paul. Thanks, Mike. It's been a pleasure talking to you again.
finally on this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, let's head to the Tongariro National Park. Um, do you expect it to be this, you know, busy this coming summer, Mike? I suppose if uh, we can get out of some kind of lockdown for some of those North Island um, towns, people will just want to get away, won't they? Well, I think that Tongariro National Park, when it comes to wide open spaces, will be ticking a lot of boxes. So yeah. yes, it may actually end up being busier than people desire. It was really interesting that last summer, it feels like we were in deja vu in some ways, but last summer, without the internationals in New Zealand, a lot of Kiwis flocked to do the Tongariro Alpine Crossing thinking, joy, we'll have it to ourselves. And they had a bumper, bumper summer. So I would not be surprised if the same thing happens again, Chris. Um, uh, I have not done the full length of the Tongariro Alpine Crossing. I've only done bits of it, but it is a really spectacular walk because you've got that chance to ogle up close volcanic peaks, barren rocky landscapes, emerald lakes, um, so it is a very popular walk, um, and summer obviously is uh, more popular because of the the weather is calmer. But yeah, it's a really beautifully raw and textured landscape, um, and the and the colours of the landscape are incredible, like uh, red crater, which is like something out of Mars. Word of advice: be sure to take decent clothing and footwear. Leave the jandals in the car. What about some, um, there are some short walks around the area as well, so it's not just one big thing no, you have to do, right? That's true. Yeah, lots of short and sweet walks. The ones I would recommend would start with Lake Rotopunamu. That is a local under-the-radar favourite. It's about a 5K track, so easily accomplished. It circles a beautiful lake wrapped in native forest, lots of bird life, um, and it's so named uh, for its greenstone hue, this lake, and the lake fills a crater nestled into the western side of Mount Pihanga. Uh, the lake itself was actually formed by a landslide, and what makes the forest so special is that it is a trove of primeval podocarps. Uh, it's like a forest that survived because it wasn't in the flow zone of Topor's last eruption 1,800 years ago. So these trees are really old. If you're staying at Chateau Tongariro, um, there's all sorts of tasty wee tracks. The Tafai Falls Walk, very close to the chateau, is an absolute cracker. So it leads you through forest to a waterfall tumbling over the edge of an ancient lava flow and it's one of the two waterfalls that was used in Lord of the Rings that depicted Gollum fishing. So a lot of locals in the area have nicknamed the Tafai Falls Gollum's Pool. Um, and also close to Oakune, Mangafero Falls is the other waterfall that was used as a location for Gollum fishing in Lord of the Rings. Okay, didn't know that. There you go. You taught me something. What about the Taranaki Falls? Yeah, well, this is just behind the Chateau Tongariro, and it's a two-hour return walk for even grander waterworks. Uh, you will uh, find it's about a 6K hike in total to Taranaki Falls, <clears throat> but you'll pass through all sorts of wonderful terrain. You'll go from tussock to shrublands to beach forest, uh, and the track wraps around the lower slopes of Ruapehu. You'll get amazing views of Narawohi's uh, symmetrical cone, lots of native birds um, all the way to the waterfalls and they tumble 20 metres over the edge of a large lava flow which erupted from Ruapehu 15,000 years ago. Just 15,000 years ago. Pretty young really, Chris. 
Chateau Tongariro is offering some deals as well. Absolutely, yeah. They are doing a repeat of what they did last summer. <clears throat> and if you're after some sizzling rates, they've got really good accommodation options, whether you want to stay in a standard room or a heritage room or splash out on a spa suite. Um but yeah, a wonderful, wonderful place to stay. So much heritage, so much history at the Chateau. It's like a long life friend, this place. And whenever I walk in there, I just feel like I'm home. Um, and it's been such a trusty beacon of Alpine hospitality. Not dissimilar to the Hermitage Hotel at Mount Cock. But if you are um, after a, a fabulous high tea experience to remember... I think Shadow Tongariro Row would offer one of the best such experiences in New Zealand. Yes, I remember you saying it's one of your favourite places to stay. Yeah. Um, and some stirring Māori history to explore as well. Yes, um, just thought I'd mention this. Uh, the last major battle of the New Zealand wars was fought at a place called Te Porere Redoubt. It's in the shadow of Tongariro, and... All sorts of history tumbles from this particular place uh, involving Takuti, um, who did avoid capture. Um, also, not far from there, if you check out the map, look for a place called Lake Rotoaira, and edging the lake is the Opotaka Pa. Now, what is significant about this place is that Taropraha sought refuge here on his long trek from Waikato uh, to Kapiti Island. And it was here at Opotakapa that he first performed the iconic Kamate Haka after hiding in a kumara pit while the local chief's wife sat on top of it weaving flax, safeguarding him from a hostile war party. So if you're into your haka history, kamate kamate, it all began here at Opotakapa. I had no idea. That's very interesting. <laughs> is that it? That is it. I was uh, spellbound by that. Really? Yes. Um, well, by the way, if you do want to check out um, uh, some of the articles related to what Chris and I have been talking about, Mackenzie Escapes and so forth, just go to For the Love of Travel. Dot NZ. And we've also got our own website for the podcast, Chris. We do. That's kiwitriptors.co.nz. That is it for now. You so we've got a Facebook page as well. We do. If you would like to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters, you can do that to, on the podcast service of your choice or check out Kiwi Tripsters on Facebook. We'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.